it comes out in different ways, like people saying, I want my day in court. I think what they really want is to be able to tell their story. Welcome to Elements of Styles, the business podcast that trades in scarce thinking for community, conversation, and ideas in abundance. Each week, I, Mark Styles, sit with professionals and entrepreneurs, both local and global, and learn how they each add value to their communities, their partners, and their teams. Please enjoy. Hey, folks, welcome back to Elements of Styles. Today, I am grateful to have Justin Kelsey of Skylark Law and Mediation. He is a professional mediator. Hey, Justin, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. How you been? I have been very busy. <laughs> I can imagine. I can only imagine that uh, somebody, so, so a little bit of background on Justin. During the COVID era, a year ago, I spent 40 hours with Justin and his training partner learning the skills to become a certified mediator. And I learned a tremendous amount from Justin. So that's a little caveat, a little disclosure as to where we're going here. But you focus primarily on family law, correct? Most of my mediations are divorce mediations and related family conflict. Yes. So that would mean you're busy coming out of COVID. I don't know. I know there's been some talk about whether you know there's more divorces. Uh, I don't know that that's necessarily true, but I think what happened is that a lot of people, for the first part of the pandemic, waited and didn't do anything. We were all sort of hope, you know, trying to see how long is this going to last, what's going to happen, and so everyone kind of froze in place. And so now what we're getting is the backlog of people deciding they want to transition their family to uh, a separated family or a divorced family, and. That means there's more cases right now because there were people who probably would have done something last year, but put it off. Uh, and in mediation, we're seeing a lot more, I think, because of the backlog in the courts. Uh, it's harder to get into court right now, and the court's timeline is even more stretched than it usually is. And one of the benefits of mediation is you control your own timeline. So let me ask you this right out of the gate, Justin. What is mediation? So the type of mediation I do is facilitated mediation. And so what that is, is it's a, basically it's a conversation where you have a neutral facilitator guiding the conversation to help two people reach agreements. And it's all about giving them control over whatever problem it is that they want to solve. So how do they find you? Does the court order mediation? Do they look in the yellow pages? How do people access mediation? Most of my clients come from either people searching on the web, other attorneys, um, or therapists, that people are basically talking to somebody about um, a family problem they have. Um, they don't know where to go, whether they need to go to court, um, and hopefully they hear about that there are alternatives to going to court. Um, and I think that's often how people find me. I'm also um, involved in the Mass Council of Family Mediation and the Academy of Professional Family Mediators, which is the sort of national version of MCFM. And if people are looking for information about mediation or where, you know, where to find uh, mediators, those organizations, those trade organizations of mediators are a good place for people to get info, 
and I think a lot of people find me through there as well. Uh, and the second piece of the question you asked about, does the court order it? There are uh, situations in which the court can order mediation. It doesn't happen a lot in Massachusetts right now. Um, there are pilot programs where mediation is happening in particular types of cases. Um, so people who are in court for department of revenue child support days um, are being offered mediation on those days. Um, but as a whole, it doesn't get used a lot. More often, people are coming to me before they ever go to court. So let's play that through. So help us understand the track of going through mediation versus both sides picking an attorney, dropping their gloves and battling it out. So I think a lot of people entering into a family transition like divorce um, have seen other people go through it and know how mean it can get. Um, and there's a lot of pain and loss involved in separating a relationship, figuring out how to co-parent separately, how to split up money. Uh, and some people want to fight. I think most look at that potential for fight and say, that's not what I want. Even if I'm upset right now, um, I just want to get through this and get to, you know, what is the after look like? Uh, and so mediation offers a path to do that, that they control. They control the timing, they control the outcome. Um, and you get to pick, now there's different types of mediators. The court is sort of a one size fits all. Here's the rules, you know, here's what the statutes say. And if you hire lawyers, they're gonna try and fit you into that box. Um, and there's really a, a lot of limitations. And when you go to mediation, um, there are still some limitations because the court, if it's a divorce, the court has to eventually approve the agreement. Um, but that's sort of at the end of the process. And through that process, we can be a lot more creative or a lot less restricted. And by getting to choose your mediator. So you go to court, you don't get to choose your judge. When you get to choose your mediator, you get to pick what kind of mediator you want. I tend to be, when I do the trainings, we talk about the distinction between a, uh, a mediator who's very facilitative and kind of passive. I ask a lot of questions. I really try and guide the conversation without putting my own input in. And there are mediators who are more directive and will stay, you know, okay, well, here's what I think you should do. It's still up to the parties what they do, but it's a different style. And one of the great things about mediation is you get to pick what's the type of mediator that you want. Do you want someone who's going to help kind of tell you what's typical and guide you through quick and maybe fit you into that court box, but with a little bit more leeway? Or do you want someone who's going to say, let's just be really creative. Let's figure out what's going to work for your family. You'll have the information about what the legal box looks like, but we're just going to try and fit you through the court system once we know what you want to do. And, and I think, especially for people with kids, um, being able to, to create your own solutions, model your own plan and say, what's going to work for our family? Not, um, you know, the perfect example is when you split up a, a parenting time and having to figure out holidays. Um, you can ask a court to give you a holiday schedule. What's it going to be? It's going to be the schedule that works for some people, things like alternating certain holidays. That doesn't take into account your own family's traditions at all, what holidays are important to each of you or your extended family, and what's going to work best for your particular children. 
Um, and you get to give maybe a little bit of that info to the court, but in mediation, we can talk about all of that. And we can really tailor something so that when those really important things come up for your kids, you're doing what makes the most sense for your family. So I think that that's why people choose mediation. And um, I think a lot of people, especially again, especially if they have kids sort of instinctively know, we'd rather make these decisions than let someone else make them, even if it's going to be hard. So talk about the ability to quote, have your day in court, your ability to air your grievances in the forum of mediation versus the forum of court litigation? I think a lot of that have your day in court kind of comes from our like pop culture view of what court looks like on TV. And I encourage people, well, pre-pandemic, this was easier. Um, I used to encourage people, if you're, if you're not sure if you want your day in court or not, go sit in on a motion session and hear what it's like, they're public hearings, hear what it's like for people to have their day in court. And my understanding is many of the courts actually have, there's a way for you to, you have to contact the registry, I'm not sure how to do it, but there actually is a way for you to log in as an observer because the Zoom court is still supposed to be public. And so you can still do this, it's not exactly the same as being in person, but I encourage people to actually see what real court is like because it's not what it looks like on TV. Your day in court, if you have an attorney, is your attorney doing a lot of the talking and maybe you doing a little bit. And if you get the chance to talk, it's only after in a divorce case, a year or two, maybe at a trial, um, which nobody wants to have happen because of the cost, the time. And even the judges, they don't wanna try cases because it means they have to make decisions for you and they'd rather not if they don't have to. So the whole system is designed for you not to get to the place where you get to talk directly to the judge and tell your story. And there's all these evidence rules limiting what you actually get to talk about. Um, and so that sort of view on TV, if something happens and two weeks later they're in court getting to tell their story, it just doesn't happen in real life. You know, maybe two years later, you'll get to tell part of your story. Whereas in mediation, you actually do get that chance. It's, it's space for both people to talk about what's important to them. We're not limited by evidence rules. Um, and the two parties get to decide what's relevant. And even if something wouldn't be relevant in court, but it's relevant to those two people, we can talk about it. Um, and so you actually get your chance to tell your story. And I think if it can be guided in a way that is constructive and not destructive, telling that story in the space where the other person is encouraged to hear it and the mediator can help translate so that you're both hearing each other, that's much more powerful. Who, who really wants to tell their story just to strangers? You, wanna, you want you know, your ex to understand your story so that maybe you can actually, if you need to work together and co-parent better, you can work together. If you need to find some closure or forgiveness, there's space for that. It doesn't happen in every case, but. I think really telling your story is much more effective in that setting than it really is in court because court is not what we all picture from TV. So your day in court is really your ability to tell your story. That's what, that's what people really want to do. Ultimately talk about the confidentiality piece of it though. Uh, so like I mentioned, court is public. Uh, there are certain certain circumstances where the hearings are closed. 
but for the most part, for the protection of our system, court is a public process. And a lot of people choose mediation because they want privacy. Um, many of my clients, that's their concern is, well, I don't want all my dirty laundry aired in court. I don't want you know, there to be motions talking about my finances. Um, in mediation, there's, uh, in Massachusetts, there's sort of two levels of confidentiality. Um, we have ethics rules for mediators um, and we have our underlying professional ethics. So like I'm an attorney by uh, my professional origin before becoming a mediator. And I'm still bound by all my professional ethics for being an attorney. So I have to keep everything confidential that people share. But there's another level of confidentiality um, under the statutory privilege given to mediators. So similar to the attorney-client privilege, there are limitations on, you know, attorneys can't be asked uh, in court what you shared with your attorney except in very limited circumstances. We have a statute in Massachusetts that protects mediators in the same way, but it's even a little bit stronger than the attorney-client privilege because there's less exceptions. Um, and so as a mediator, I know I'm never gonna be called as a witness as long as I've done the right things I need to, which is I have to be trained and I have to have a written agreement and I have to either have a certain level of experience or be a member of an organization that gives me that coverage. And those things are all in the statute, but it's pretty much check a couple boxes, have the written agreement. And then the people know what we talk about in that room is never going to be used against them in court. Um, it's never going to be talked about outside that room except by their choice. And that lets people, I think, talk about difficult things, trust their mediator and that space as a safe space, and be creative with ideas that you can throw out an idea and not worry that's going to be used against me in court for making that proposal. Um, so that, I think that confidentiality piece, both from a, a legal standpoint is super important, but even just from a practical, most people aren't thinking about what happens if you get subpoenaed. <laughs> you know, that's how, what most people think about. They're just thinking about, is this something that's gonna be private? Am I gonna feel like I'm being watched? It's, um, especially in divorce work, you're bringing a stranger into your, into your life, into intimate pieces of your life. And, I think people want to feel safe when they do that, that they can trust that person. And so making sure they understand it's a private process is really important. And going into the process of mediation, maybe somebody is not really truly understanding it and they enter into the process. Is this a binding process or can they get out at any point? So the process is completely voluntary. Um, there are some instances where people have agreed by contract to go to mediation, but there's nothing that can require you to actually reach an agreement. You can be required to attend a mediation, but you could just do nothing while you're there except listen. Um, so there's very limited circumstances where that's the case. Most of the time, it's a completely voluntary process. And no matter what, um, unlike arbitration, where the arbitrator makes a decision, unlike court, where the judge makes a decision, the mediator is not making any decisions. They're just facilitating the conversation. So um, even a more evaluative process, like I said, some mediators are more directive. Even if they tell you their opinion, you're not bound by it. So it's all up to the people to take in what they learn within that process and decide what they want to do. And that has pros and cons, right? And you could go through multiple mediation meetings and end up not reaching an agreement. And that can be very frustrating. 
Um, and so we talk with people about that up front, that that's a possibility. And a lot of our mediation training is about how to get people to an agreement, even when they are having a really difficult time and, and having a hard time getting there. Um, so that that doesn't happen very often. And mediation success rate, whenever there are studies done, is, is pretty high, usually 85% or higher. Um, but that is a potential downside because it's voluntary. Uh, there is the possibility that people won't work it out. And so we talk about that up front. And I think one of the reasons to really make sure that people are informed before they enter mediation is that they enter it in good faith uh, with the intent of not doing that, but really working the problem until it's solved. And there's a lot of power in that because it means ultimately they made all the decisions completely up to them and no one else decided for them. And again, I think when it comes to families, that's nothing's more important than making the own decision, your own decisions for your family. Uh, so getting to raise your kids the way that you think is right, you know, all of that. Um, it's just that much more important in that setting to be able to make those decisions yourselves. You, you said, um, you mentioned an 85% success rate. What do, what do you mean by that? Success is defined as what? So what most people mean when they say success in a mediation is we reached a full agreement. And if there's a court action, we were able to enter that agreement in court and get a judgment. And for most of my clients in a divorce setting, that's what they mean. A successful mediation is we got all the way through it and we filed an agreement with the court and the court approved the agreement. It's a good agreement. Um, and that's the goal for sure in every case that walks into my office. And we're clear about that. Um, Let's say every case. I do have some people who come in for marital mediation where the goal is to stay together and they're working on a different set of uh, problems and goals. But most of divorce cases, it's not just, oh, we had a good conversation. They want to get to a full agreement and have it approved by the court. Um, and so there are often studies that are done. Um, there have been some national surveys. Uh, there was a study done um, over a 12-year period in Maine um, studying specifically, uh, Dr. Robert Emery studied um, custody litigation where they flipped a coin and sent half the people to mediation and the other half stayed in litigation. And then they tracked what happened with those kids in the parenting relationships over a 12 year period. Um, and so the people who went to five hours of free mediation, I think the number was about 85 or 86% resulted in a full agreement. Even the people who didn't result in an agreement had better parenting outcomes long-term from having had discussions before going back to litigation. So when we talk about success, it's important to note, even if the balls moved forward, <laughs> you know, if people are closer to reaching agreement coming out of a mediation, even if they haven't fully reached an agreement, that still might be a success or a partial success, especially if like that study showed, it results in better parenting outcomes down the road. Um, and there were some significant differences within those two subsets that were really interesting that came out of that study. And when I throw out the, the, the number 85%, it's because kind of every time I've seen a study about mediation and land somewhere in that 85 to 90% reached a full agreement. But we talk about success of the process overall, one, one um, statistic from that study has always really stood out to me. And it was, they asked people 12 years after they had this court case, how often the non, and so in this case, they sort of use some traditional language of custodial versus non-custodial parent. 
when they said non-custodial parent, what they meant is the parent who was spending less physical time with the child. How often does the non-custodial parent 12 years later talk to their child? And basically they asked, do you talk to your child at least once a week? For the, for the parent who was seeing the child last during that 12 year time period. And some of these kids are now adults, some are still like teenagers, but how, you know, how many of you talked to your child at least once per week? And when they did this survey across like a national pool for parents who were separated or divorced, the non-custodial parent talked to the child at least once per week in 18% of cases. And in this study, which your, your eyebrows raised, and I would say, for me, as a parent, I was sort of shocked too, like, that's really low, it feels right. like. And uh, in the path, the people who went down the litigation path in this study, the number was 14%. And the people who went to five hours of mediation, the number was 50%. I remember not 15% of those didn't reach a full agreement in mediation, they still ended up in litigation. But just going to mediation and talking about their kids before they went to court made them more likely to have a parenting relationship that included the non-custodial parent more, that made it more likely that that non-custodial parent was involved in their child's life enough that they were talking to the child at least once per week, 12 years after this court case. And the difference between 18 or 14% and 50% is huge. So for me, that's those are the kind of statistics that make the power of mediation stand out, especially in families. So there's obvious intrinsic value. There's there's successes for the family long term. We talk about, you know, can they stand together at the high school graduation? Can they be cordial before or after litigation? But talk about the cost differential between going through a legal battle and having success through mediation? Generally, it's, it's much, much cheaper um, to go through mediation. Uh, one, because a lot of mediations are done with just the mediator and the two parties in the room. And then we bring the attorneys in for parts of it, whether sometimes in the in-person mediation, but a lot of times just to review the agreements. And so the amount of professional time spent is a lot less because the people are really, for the most part, negotiating for themselves. Um, so it's more work for them. Uh, and, I, and I'm kind of upfront with people about that. You're gonna do more work than the professionals when you mediate, but you're gonna, in doing that, you're gonna get what, what makes sense to you rather than the professionals. Um, but because of that as well, you're just spending, you know, most professionals in this area, attorneys and mediators are charging hourly. There are some flat fee options out there, but they're comparable in total price to the hourly anyway. Uh, they're trying to sort of mimic it without having to be as specific. So in total cost, you're just spending less time with professionals, so it costs less. Uh, in, there's also what I would say is less wasted time. So one of the things with the court process is everything has to be very formal. Um, frankly, the pandemic has made court a little bit cheaper. It's longer to get the hearing. It takes longer to get things done. But when you have a hearing that's on Zoom, you're not having the travel time and the sitting around waiting in court. The court's finally implementing some of the uh, staggered scheduling. So court's getting a little bit cheaper because of that. 
it's a little bit less sit around and wait than court used to be, but it's still, you're waiting to make an argument as opposed to actually working the problem. And at the end of that argument, it's possible you actually both get something you don't want, right? The judge can do what either of you ask for or something different. And so you're sometimes even back to square one, even after you've spent a bunch of money. And even if one of you wins, it meant the other lost. So half the money that was spent feels like a waste, right? So and I think about that in terms of value, like even if the costs were similar, when you're working on the problem and you're both getting something out of it, the value of what you're spending is directly related to the outcome. And in court, if you think of one person winning and one person losing, half the money that spent was a waste. <laughs> so there's that piece of it. It also, because there's so much weight and so much formality to court, it usually ends up taking longer and therefore costing more. So in, in mediation, you know, a good example is just trading information. In mediation, if someone wants to see a bank statement, they say, hey, can I see this bank statement? In litigation, if the two attorneys get together and, and, and work together well, sure, that happens. But a lot of times what happens is, oh, we have to formally ask for that through discovery. So we send over a formal request. And if you're going to send a formal request, you're not going to ask for one document because you don't want to have to do it multiple times. So you ask for all the documents you can think of. And then the other side sends the same thing back. And so you end up producing way more documents than you need to, doing more work than you need to, to get the one or two things you actually wanted to see, because that's the most efficient way to do it in court. But it's a practical matter. The most efficient way to do it is just to agree, yeah, if there's something you want to see, I'll provide it if you'll do that for me. <laughs> and so just the practical exchange of information, which is critical to making decisions, in a mediation just happens naturally. It happens like when people are working towards a transaction together. You know, if you're, if you're doing a real estate transaction and people need information, you exchange the information because you both have the same goal of making the transaction happen. In litigation, it's this like, I'm going to hold my cards tight, but you have a right to all of it. So you just force people to go through the process and all of that costs money. So that's, I think, the real, it's not just the costing more versus costing less because of the wasted time. It's the value. You get the same stuff for less money and you have more control over it. That's, that's value pricing in that sense. So even if it ends up costing something similar because you have a hard mediation and it takes a long time, you're getting much more value than you're getting out of the court process, in my opinion. Talk about your experiences with your, um, do you call them clients when you're doing a mediation? I do. Okay. Talk about some experiences with your clients with respect to the emotional um, aspect of it when you're in litigation and there's stress and there's anxiety and there's sheriffs and constables and upcoming hearings versus we're going to meet with Justin in seven days. I would say mediation is still hard. These conversations are not easy conversations. Some people get along better than others. And some conversations are harder than others. Um, I don't shy away from, if this is a divorce case, there's a lot of loss involved. And you're going to have less time with your kids and you're going to have less money. Those are not easy conversations ever. But knowing that you're going into a meeting where no one's going to make you do anything. So the only solutions that are going to come out of it are something that you agree to. Um, it still is anxiety inducing for a lot of people because they're hard conversations. But we try to make it the whole process is about making that easier by giving them the space and time to make decisions and by making the process as comfortable as possible. Now doing it on zoom, I can't give people chocolate and coffee and Kleenex in the way that I can when they sit in my office, 
but I still, you know, have a, a spiel at the beginning about, you know, take a minute before we get started, get a water, make your space comfortable. Um, I don't care if your dog barks, let your dog into the room, you know, be comfortable in the space that you're going to have this conversation. And then you compare that again to the court process. It's completely the opposite. Stand up when we're talking to you, um, dress up, whether that's comfortable for you or not. Um, you don't get to talk except when you're allowed to. The judge sits up, you know, when it's in person, the judge is sitting up above you. It's intimidating. It's meant to be to give people a sense of the importance of it and for decorum and to keep people to the rules. But that also means it's very anxiety inducing for people. And I've done both. I did, in, I did litigation work. And I know that people are still stressed when they come to mediation, but the level of stress when people are preparing for a court hearing, it's just a whole nother level. Um, and, and a lot of times that's also because of what the potential outcome is. You know, the outcome of a mediation meeting is whatever you both want it to be. The outcome of a court hearing is I got everything I wanted or nothing I wanted. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, maybe there's an in-between, but a lot of times it feels very all or nothing. Like I could lose this whole motion um, or this whole trial. That's scary for people. Um, and rightfully so, if it means like, I'm not gonna get to see my kids when I wanna see my kids. Uh, so I think the level of anxiety is completely different, uh, but I don't pretend that mediation is just easy you know, either. I think it's important that people know these are hard conversations prepare for it you know um uh, give yourself the space for it to be hard that's going to make it easier um uh, and and make sure that you speak up when it is so that it can be tailored to you those are all the things that we can do in mediation because it's flexible that the court can't do you know they can't treat this person different than that person because that's where biases come in and and you end up with you know, people that look like the judge getting treated one way and people that don't getting treated another way. All these things that we don't want our neutral court system to be means it has to be one size fits all. In mediation, this is all about fitting the process to the people. So and there's a lot more space for those hard conversations and, and for people to uh, reduce the anxiety over those conversations as much as possible. How did you find your way into the world of mediation? Uh, <laughs> it's a long story. I will say, um, I think the, the most important part is, uh, when I was doing litigation work, I found that sort of naturally I wanted, I learned that the, these downsides of the court system and I wanted to keep my clients away from that as much as I could. And so I looked for solutions that worked for both my client and the other side. I recognize those sort of tenets from you know, uh, getting to yes about um, the negotiation book about understanding what the other side wants so that you can give them as much as you can get, you know, you can build the pie so they get as much as they want with you still getting what you want. And that's that interest-based negotiation is the basis for mediation. And I kind of got there because I was doing that and you start to run into other practitioners who recognize it. Now, this is someone who wants to work cases for solutions, not just mitigate. And so people told me, you should take the mediation training. You should take the collaborative law training. Um, you would be good at that. And so I took the mediation training and it was, you know, like a cliche, like a light bulb went on. 
this is what I've been trying to do anyway. <laughs> um, when I've been sitting in an advocate seat, I'm still trying to get the people to work together because they're families. Right? And, and I really don't see divorce as breaking up a family. I see divorce as transitioning a family to a different type of family. And hopefully they can still be a family. And that's what kids need. They need their family to still be a family. Um, so I never took that winner take all approach to litigation and my clients knew that and the people who picked me knew that um, mediation was such a perfect fit for that attitude where I still do some advocate work where I work with one side, but my clients know I'm settlement oriented, but sitting in the mediation seat is just a more natural fit for me. I really want both people to get the maximum they can get for what they both want. And I get to do that in that seat. So I got recommended the training by a few friends and it was a great recommendation because it's such a it's such a good fit for my personality type and my desire to really problem solve rather than fight these issues out. And now you teach it. Yeah, so I was mediating for about four years and I had, I think partly because, I don't know, something that comes out of marketing is people recognize when you actually believe what you're saying, <laughs> um, that, I am passionate about the power of mediation, but I've seen it work for families and I've seen litigation not work for families. And you sort of, you get into this place where it's like, well, I wanna save as many people as I can and get them into, into a process that, that will be better for them and their kids. So I, I really got out there and I talked about it. I started presenting um, and I got an opportunity to get involved in mass continuing legal ads mediation training um, because a few people noticed how successful my marketing was in building my own mediation practice in a short period of time. Um, and so I got into the training side by first talking about how I built my mediation practice on that very practical business side of the training, which uh, most of the training sort of do towards the end of the skills training. We talk a little bit about how do you actually get clients now? <laughs> um, and so I started doing that for MCLE and just kind of expanded from there that I, I like teaching. Um, I want as many people doing mediation as possible because I think, um, first of all, it gives clients more options because it is such a personal process. They should find someone they're most comfortable with. And for some of us, that's someone who has a similar background to me, who's more culturally aware of what I'm, you know, we need more diversity in the mediation profession. I want to train as many people as possible, sort of my attitude about it. So I've been involved in Cambridge, our Community Dispute Settlement Center in Cambridge, their training, Family Services, Central Massachusetts, their training. I'm still on the faculty for the Mass Continuing Legal Ed. And then Ellen Waldorf and I, you mentioned at the beginning here that um, you took our training. Ellen Waldorf and I took over Divorce Mediation Training Associates, and we do a 40-hour training. Most of the other Massachusetts trainings are 30-hour trainings um, because that's what the Massachusetts statute requires. A lot of the national standards and the Uniform Mediation Act, which we don't have in Massachusetts, but some other states have, have a 40-hour requirement. So we do a 40-hour training because we also get people from other states sometimes. And it just gives you more opportunity for role play um, and you know, to work those skills a little bit more. Uh, but I really enjoy doing the training. And you know, from a just from that sort of political perspective, I want more people. I have that opinion. I want more people doing mediation. I want more people to have access to mediation. But also just from a, you know, the days of those trainings, they go by so fast. It's really enjoyable to see people make the shift and learn how to um, 
listen better, how to share their opinion in a way that's not biased at the right time and give people the space to, to make decisions themselves first. I think litigators who take the training end up being better negotiators and better litigators, even if they don't mediate. And I think we have social workers who take the training. I think you end up being a more well-rounded social worker. You know, they already have a lot of the listening stuff down, the kind of understanding how to put it to the context of legal decisions. Um, I think it rounds people out. And you know, if it was up to me, I'd make it even longer. But <laughs> we have the 40 hours is a pretty long time already to get people signed up and, and to make the time for it. But I think it's well worth it. I agree. So let me ask you this. If someone were uh to have a successful mediation session with you right through to the court filing and all went well and everybody's happy as they can be, or, or as we like to say with a, a good litigation settlement, equally unhappy, what would, a, what would a testimonial look like if someone jumped on Facebook or Google or, or one of the platforms that, uh, that house uh, surveys or testimonials? What would, what would an ideal um, testimonial look like for you? The most positive feedback we get from clients is that they felt heard and they felt guided. But they needed a little direction of you know, how to stay in the path to getting to solutions and that there was space for them to be heard. And that that's something that a lot of times people don't get when they are having direct conversations because they're both so interested in getting out what they need to say that it's hard to listen. So kind of teaching people how to do that, get the most feedback out of the result of that, which is I felt heard. I felt like I had the chance to make the decisions myself and I felt guided. And you know, it comes out in different ways, like people saying, I want my day in court. Well, I think what they really want is to be able to tell their story. Um, so, you know, when people give us reviews like that, I really appreciate that passing on that information, that letting other people know this is a this is going to be the place, the chance that they get to tell their story, um, and then make decisions based on that unique story. So, two ways to get in touch with you: one for Skylark and one for training. Can you share those, and we'll put them in the show notes? Yes. So. Um, my website for Skylark is skylarklaw.com. Um, and my email is jkelsey at skylarklaw.com, J-K-E-L-S-E-Y. And on the website, there's ways to get in touch with us. There's a ton of information. We have a very extensive blog that's linked on there. A lot of basic information. We have child support calculators and parenting time calculators. Um, and you can schedule a meeting right through the website, both a 15 minute free call or a paid longer consultation. And then on the training side, most of the training I'm doing right now is with Alan through Divorce Mediation Training Associates. And that website is DMTA, so Divorce Mediation Training Associates, dmtatraining.com. Um, and I have a few other businesses as well. If people are really curious about some of the stories I tell and finding my TikTok and things like that. Um, all of, I put all of this together at duckinabottle.com. And there's a story about a duck in a bottle that I'll leave that as a teaser. If people want to hear the story, there's a video on that webpage telling the duck in a bottle story, which we tell at the training. 
I love it. I love it. Okay. One final and most important question, as you've heard some of the other podcasts, we're going to get our guests together someday in the future, and we're going to have a networking meeting of all the guests. But one of the the features of that event is going to be karaoke. What's your go-to karaoke, Justin Kelsey? This is the lamest answer, but I don't think you're going to get me up doing a karaoke song. I'm, I'm a, a listener. Um, which fits with my trade. You're not going to get me up singing karaoke. So you're gonna you're gonna listen and support and guide those who are making fools of themselves. What if there was What if there was no way to leave without singing a song? What would it be? So I have never. I, I will say I've never done karaoke because I'm just not the person who will get up there and do it. Um, it would probably be something Guns and Roses. Uh, I love it. Think of the songs that are like, I could probably sing without seeing the words from just listening to them too many times as a kid. Uh, I love it. I love it. Guns and Roses. Welcome to the jungle. Welcome to the calm jungle when it comes to mediation, right? Justin, one more time. What is the best way for people to get in touch with you? Is it duckinthebottle.com? So duckinabottle.com has links to all my businesses and all my connections. Um, and skylarklaw.com is obviously the main business. I love it. Justin, thank you very much for sharing your knowledge and wisdom with us. Yeah, thanks for the time. It's great to see you again. Likewise, we'll talk soon. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice for a new episode each week and share this with everyone and anyone. If you have any questions or comments or have an idea for another guest, feel free to shoot me an email at mstyles at styles-law.com. That's M-S-T-I-L-E-S at styles-law.com. And if you are a real estate professional, be sure to check us out on our private exclusive Facebook page, The Real Estate School at 892 for content and Massachusetts continuing education opportunities. Be well, folks. Today's episode is sponsored by Securitidal. Secure Title helps Massachusetts real estate attorneys, real estate agents, loan professionals, buyers, and sellers with all of their title, settlement, and escrow needs. Secure Title, S-E-C-U-R-I-T-I-T-L-E.com, where security and title come together. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own, and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Please seek legal, financial, or tax advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.